stronger. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong. A warm welcome to Money Talk on this Wednesday morning, the 7th of September. This is Peter Lewis with the day's business headlines. The latest economic data from the US shows a more robust US economy than expected. The Institute for Supply Management said its Services Purchasing Managers Index came in at 56.9 for August, beating economists' estimates of 55.5. Growth in business activity and new orders both accelerated last month, the report said. Australia's central bank has raised interest rates by half a point for a fourth straight meeting. The Reserve Bank of Australia hikes the cash rate by 50 basis points to a seven-year high of 2.35%, as expected. Inflation in Taiwan slowed significantly in August. Taiwan's consumer price index rose 2.66% from a year ago, slower than July's 3.36% year-on-year rise. It's the first time inflation has been below 3% in six months. New UK Prime Minister Liz Truss has taken office and vowed to lead the country out of its energy crisis. She has appointed former Business Secretary Kwesi Kwarteng as the new Finance Minister. He's working on an emergency budget, which reports suggest could freeze UK energy bills at their current levels. Households had been facing an 80% increase in October. The combined package of energy support measures for businesses and households could cost more than £150 billion. That's 173 billion US dollars over two years. And the European Union will propose levies on energy companies to counter astronomical bills for households. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen said the proposals would target both fossil fuel producers and low-carbon power companies that have reaped windfall profits thanks to higher electricity prices. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Mark Michelson at IMA Asia, Christopher Lee from Augustine and Alexander Investments, and RTHK's international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On Wall Street's US markets reopened Tuesday after the Labor Day holiday, and stocks and government bond prices dropped as an upbeat survey on the country's services industry fueled expectations of further 75 basis point rate rises by the Federal Reserve. The S&P 500 slipped 0.4% to 3,908. The Dow, which was down 270 points at the lows of the day, partially recovered to close 173 points lower at 31,145. The Nasdaq Composite slid 0.7% to 11,545. That's notched its seventh day of losses, which is the longest losing streak since November 2016. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index rose a quarter of a percent. London's FTSE 100 climbed 0.2%. Hong Kong stocks ended yesterday slightly lower. The Hang Seng Index was down 23 points, or 0.1%, at 19,203. The Hang Seng Tech Index rose 0.1%. The Shanghai Composite Index added 1.4% to 3,243 on hopes that there will be more support for the mainland's battered economy. 
In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil settled 2.5% lower at $92.83 a barrel. Gold fell half a percent to $1,703 an ounce. The yield on the 10-year U.S. government bond surged 16 basis points to 3.35%. That's the highest level since June the 16th. The yield on the more policy-sensitive two-year note rose 11 basis points to 3.5%. That's close to the highest yield since 2007. And the 30-year yield rose to its highest since 2014. The U.S. dollar index rose to its highest level of the year. The euro is a third of a percent weaker, tra- trading right now at 99 cents. The Japanese yen was the worst performing of the major currencies, tumbling 1.6% to a 24-year low of 143.14 versus the dollar. Sterling was unchanged at $1.15 and 9 Hong Kong dollars and 4 cents. The PBOC cut the Chinese yuan central parity rate by 98 pips to weaker than 6.9 per US dollar for the first time since August 2020. However, it was the 10th straight session of a stronger than expected fixing, marking the longest run of strong biases since 2019. Offshore yuan, that slipped to a two-year low of 6.975 versus the dollar. Bitcoin this morning is down 4% at $18,700. And if we take a look around the Asia-Pacific stock markets, the ASX 200 in Australia is off a third of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is down 0.4%. The Cosby in South Korea is off half a percent. And the Hang Seng Index is forecast to drop below the 19,000 level for the first time since mid-March. Early indications are it will start the day 250 points lower at around 18,950. Let's welcome our guest sitting with me here in Broadcasting House, Mark Michelson, Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. Morning, Mark. Uh, Good morning, Peter, and good evening, uh, Barry and Christopher. And we do indeed have over in the US on the phone, Christopher Lee, who's Senior Partner at Farron, Augustine and Alexander Investments. Morning, Chris. Hey, good morning, Mark, and uh, good morning, Peter. And also with us, we have our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood, who's in Washington, D.C. Morning to you, Barry. Good morning. Good morning, Peter. Now, the European Union is going to propose levies on energy companies to counter what it describes as astronomical bills for households. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen said the proposals are going to target both fossil fuel producers and low-carbon power companies. She said the levies, which will be implemented at a member state level, would come, across, uh, come alongside measures to reduce electricity use by shifting demand away from peak periods. And Brussels is also going to work with member states to ensure electricity producers have sufficient liquidity through the provision of state aid, which could come or amount to a cost of around two trillion US dollars. This has all come after Russia said it would uh, close the Nord Stream 1 pipeline, which feeds gas uh, to Germany, uh, until sanctions are lifted against Moscow. Um, Barry, let me ask you to start on this. Russia's closed its main gas pipeline. Um, Energy companies uh, are needing to be backstopped by the European governments. Um, We don't like using the word crisis often, but this is surely now an energy crisis, particularly for Europe. 
Absolutely. It, anytime you have a, a gas price increase of from 400 to 700 percent, and the winter hasn't even arrived, in fact, autumn hasn't even arrived in Europe, you have to do something politically. So to, in fact, say to the gas companies, to all energy companies all across the European Union, uh, here's a levy. Here's some money that you're going to have to pay because of excess profits. But of course, this all goes back to February when the European Union, the United States, Canada, Japan, imposed all these sanctions on Russia because of the Ukraine war. Mm. And now Russia is really playing hardball. So this escalates the problem of the European energy market, which is already in chaos. There's it's something a bit odd, though, isn't there? On the one hand, you want to tax energy companies on what you call their windfall profits. But then on the other hand, you've got to backstop them because they can't afford the collateral uh, they're going to have to put up to their um, their suppliers. And this uh, cost, they're talking about $2 trillion. That's 15% of EU's of Europe's GDP. It's an enormous cost, isn't it? It is an enormous cost, but uh, I think all of us are EU watchers. We know that the the real strength of the European Union, I'm, I'm being half facetious here, is that they write a check and uh, that tries to ameliorate problems. But this is becoming a political problem, not just in Germany, in every European country. And the Russians now have really, in one sense, uh, raised the ante by saying, we want the sanctions lifted. Well, that's not going to happen short term, but the complete cutoff is something that going back to February when the American-European sanctions were imposed was never even contemplated. Yeah, and as Barry mentioned, it's a problem for every European country, including one that's no longer a member of the EU, which you mentioned earlier, the UK, uh, the, the UK where it's gonna, it's a great way to, to start, a, uh, start a new government. But at the same time, I, th you know, I, th it's a question whether this is also going to be a, 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 a model for other places if they run into the same problems. In the U.S., for example, Barry knows better than I do, but it's it's not not true throughout the U.S. But there are certain places that are having real issues as well, not directly re re related to Russia, although indirectly. But at the same time, and what are they going to do? And that's a state by state decision, but it just adds to the mix of the uh, political intrigue as we approach the midterms. Who pays for this in the end? It's taxpayers, sure. Taxpayers, yeah. People. So, and, and presumably it's got to be done through uh, raising a lot more debt at a time when interest rates are going up. Yeah, ab absolutely. Chris, Chris, what are your, th your thoughts on this? I know you're, you're over in the US um, at the moment, mm -hmm. but how serious a, a crisis is this for maybe not just Europe, but for the, for the world? Well, I mean, what is exciting about the UK, as you saw yesterday, was that uh, Liz Truss was uh, selected by her party as the new leader. And I think in her opening speech, uh, she's staying very positive. And then I also like her background a lot, right? So she was a business person initially as an accountant and had been the foreign secretary and had worked as uh, the trade minister. And also, did I mention she was also with the uh, Ministry of um, uh, Environment, right? So mm. she's bringing hope to the UK. And she's, I think, promised to help uh, mitigate this energy crisis. And I think um, uh, Barry actually hit on a very good point earlier, which is that I think somebody who's going to be ultimately paying for this is potentially the EU, who uh, will probably write a check uh, to help alleviate this problem. And so I think 
there is going to be some, I think, a rebuilding of relationship between the UK and also the rest of Europe. So, mm. of course, no take on it. How, how is she going to do that, though, when she's said um, that, you know, she's basically going to rip up the agreement with the EU that uh, her predecessor um, negotiated? That If she does that, um, I don't think Europe is going to forgive her or the UK for a very long time, are they? Yeah, so it's still early. I mean, she will be meeting the Queen today or tomorrow. She's, yep, she's met her already. Yes. Yes. She's met <laughs> so, her already. She's the so Prime I mean, Minister. Not very, very, uh, very much, um, you know, sort of like a uh, tall order. Mm-hmm. But uh, she has a choice. I think uh, she mm-hmm. might have to go back on some of the uh, earlier terms and really uh, review uh, what her predecessors have said no and probably really we consider and we negotiate of those and I think it is necessary for her to do that. OK, I want to talk more about the UK in just a moment. But first, let me, let me ask you, Barry, about Russia. I'm, I'm just wondering, really, because if you look at what happened after Russia said it's going to close the Nord Stream 1 pipeline, we saw natural gas futures in Europe. They surged about 30 percent. Uh, but they're now back down to where they were before the shutdown. I'm wondering, is Russia now basically out of economic leverage? Is this the worst that it can do, but what it is doing is at a, an enormous long-term cost to Russia's own economy because Europe will never again will it want to be dependent upon Russian gas and, and oil and it's certainly not going to help Russia now develop and modernise its energy industry. Well, that's all true. You, you've got that right. I'm, clearly, the Europeans will not allow themselves to become as dependent as they were on Russian oil and gas. But uh, go back to February and the sanctions. Uh, It was thought that uh, this would cripple the Russian economy quickly. There were financial sanctions that were never imposed, uh, freezing their foreign currency reserves after all. Uh, The ruble was expected to collapse and in fact the ruble went up in value. Uh, Russia is in fact selling its oil and gas to other countries. Uh, I'm I'm not suggesting that uh, they're in good shape, but the central bank in Russia has said in the last 48 hours that the economic slowdown in Russia that was anticipated to be very deep for the rest of 2022 will be now somewhat less severe. Mm. So I think uh, I'm not saying that the American European sanctions have failed, but they've certainly had a lot of unintended consequences. And I don't think that it can be said, Peter, that Russia's out of ammunition. After all, the war has not ended. It's gone on since February. And the Russians have other cards to play. Now, I have no idea what they may be, but I don't think the Russians are nearly as crippled as as we thought they would be by this point in time. Is is a recession in Europe inevitable, do you think? I do. I think Europe is already in a deep recession. It will get worse. Russia clearly is in a very deep recession. So the the whole and, and the great uncertainty is the direction of the war. You know, the, the Zaporizhia uh, nuclear plant, the biggest in in, in, in European continent, uh, is contested by the two forces now occupied by the Russians. Uh, you know, you, we just don't know what's going to happen there. It's hard to build an optimistic scenario about Europe. And by that, I mean, Chris, including the UK, because it's a grim situation. If you want to talk stagflation, you'll find it in Europe because you find rising prices and slowing economic activity. We're relatively lucky here in the U.S. because, yes, we have high inflation, but there's a lot of evidence that may have already peaked. Mm -hmm. 
Mark, are your members out here, are they also talking about now higher energy prices and the impacts on their businesses? They are to some extent, although they've eased a little bit. I mean, some of the costs have eased a little bit, at least temporarily, containers and and some of the other some of the other uh, oils we know has gone down even some semiconductors but really what it's what all this has done is it's it's energized them to consider restructuring in a much bigger way than they they thought before and that's both internally in terms of how they run their businesses trying to save costs and supply chains and so many of them are looking for alternative alternative sourcing doesn't mean they're going out of china for example but going to other places in asia to try to balance that and india seems to be at least in the short term the big winner we just took a survey of of about 150 of our of our members and overwhelmingly over 50% are are thinking of uh, of changing their supply chains and india uh, seems to be the most uh, most common choice in addition to vietnam and a few other places Chris, you, you were talking about the the UK. You, you seem to be a Liz Truss fan. Sure. Um, she's obviously inherited an economy which is really in a, a pretty desperate situation, mm. isn't it? It's, it's without doubt got the highest inflation rate in Europe. The economy's for sure going into recession. Let me ask you about what mm-hmm. Deutsche Bank have said in this rather famous report they released on Monday. Yeah. They're saying... Um, right. The UK's in danger of suffering an, emergency, uh, an emerging market's style sudden stop and um, a 30% currency collapse. What do you make of that? Well, I mean, I think this uh, Deutsche Bank comment is very interesting, but I really do, uh, I think, echo what uh, Barry said earlier about the U.S. situation here is, I think, a lot better than the U.K. in terms of just uh, the slowing of uh, inflation. And I think a couple of months ago, I did mention that gas prices on the West Coast were about $7 per gallon. And now I'm mm. seeing them below $5 per gallon, which is much better, right? And I think the other reason why the U.S. is slightly in a better position than the U.K. is what you mentioned earlier, the strength of the U.S. dollar. So at really almost all-time high against the yen at 143 and also like 30% stronger than the euro and it helps a lot of Americans, right, to really have, you know, lower cost of living. And so they are still able to buy cheaper goods from overseas. So uh, I'm definitely a, li- a little bit more optimistic now uh, on the West Coast here in the U.S. when I look at it from my vantage point. So I uh, just wish uh, uh, Prime Minister Trust a lot of luck. And She's going to she need it. to probably renegotiate. Yeah, she has to, I think, um, review some of the tough terms that her predecessor has uh, put in place. And if I were in her position, I would really renegotiate some of those terms. Barry, you probably remember, as, as I do, this, um, well, this ap- apocalyptic warning for the UK. Um, it's not without precedence, is it? Because it's happened before uh, to the UK. There was a balance of payments crisis in the 1970s when oil prices shot up, uh, the currency collapsed, and Britain had to go to the IMF for a bailout. Well, now that's interesting you mentioned that because uh, it does seem like a very different world that we're in now. But uh, it's pretty scary when you see a pound at $1.15. It wasn't that long ago. It was at $1.40. Now, Britain has most of its trade with Europe which probably wasn't the case in the 1970s when it went to the IMF. I've got a feeling that, um, and I'm, I'm just thinking out loud here, that um, 
probably it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the pound collapses. The pound is, yes, uh, probably number three, number four most important currency in the world, but uh, you know, it's, it's uh, not the US dollar. Mm. And I think that uh, the energy problem in the inflation problem is really, and the cost of living. I was watching BBC, they had a splendid report on pensioners who were really struggling in the UK. Now that hasn't happened yet here in the States, but it could. But clearly the British situation is desperate. Mm. But it's it's hard to imagine, though, isn't it? Desperate though it is, <laughs> it's going to suffer from some sort of emerging market style collapse because it funds itself in its own currency. It doesn't have um, foreign debt. So even though it might have to fund itself at much higher interest rates, there are still a lot of buyers of British gilts domestically. Um, so presumably it could fund itself, albeit at a cost. Absolutely. Absolutely, Peter. I mean, anybody who's been through Heathrow or Gatwick in the last few months knows that, that London remains the crossroads of Europe and in one sense crossroads of the world. Mm. And the, the promised, the expected exodus of financial institutions from London after Brexit has not happened. So I think I agree with every word you just uttered. Uh, Britain is not going to collapse and I think that those comparisons therefore may not be particularly pertinent. Yeah, no, and and of course I agree. It still doesn't look good that both the yen and the pound are are both in difficult situations. Of course, the yen was once three sixty <laughs> to the U.S. dollar, so it was uh, it was was slightly weaker. But at the same time, it 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 shows some issues. And Japan funds its its debt domestically as well. But debt is a is a big issue, and of course, it's a big one in China, especially local debt and and uh, and some some corporate debt, and it's at the top of the list of of concerns of of our members. And what I'm hearing as well is how that's going to be sorted out too in the next uh, in the next few months and and next year. Chris, how how big a problem is the is the strong yeah. dollar? We've got um, the Japanese yen at a 24 year low. Some people saying the pound mm -hmm. could go to parity against the dollar. Um, what's more likely to happen first is the, the yeah. Chinese yuan mm -hmm. could go, be, uh, go to seven um, against the dollar. How big an issue is this? It has, right? It has uh, touched at seven. I think, you know, before 2019, you know, just the pre-COVID uh, era, and the uh, U.S. dollar against the uh, Chinese renminbi was about 6.9 and uh, 7. And I wanted to just respond again to your comment about the emerging market EM style sort of like a problem for the U.K. in terms of just the pound is uh, weakening. And also, uh, you know, for those of us who are old enough to remember the EM crisis in Asia in 97, 98, mm. 99 period, I mean, Asian currencies were devalued, and so mm -hmm. the pound is now really losing a lot of its value. And that's how I think uh, the uh, the analysts at the bank were uh, referring to the EM style sort of mm -hmm. like a problem that UK is facing. So it will further again uh, weaken, I think, um, Prime Minister Trust's uh, position in terms of her negotiation with the EU and all the other countries. And that basically just supports my argument earlier, again, that uh, she has to be flexible. She mm -hmm. has to probably re, um, reverse some of the tough uh, terms that her predecessors have put in place earlier. I mean, I don't want to underplay it because, you know, while I'm sort of a bit sceptical about the UK suffering an emerging market style collapse, there is no doubt it's in a dire situation and what i wonder is how can it afford uh, to subsidize all these energy bills the latest cost uh, that i've seen uh, for, for subsidizing energy relief for households and businesses is about 150 billion pounds 
That's uh, about 173 billion US dollars. She's also talking about another 3 billion pound, 30 billion pounds in tax cuts. And this comes when public debt in the UK is about 96% of GDP. That's the highest since the early 1960s. Whatever happens, this is going to be an enormous problem to go and fund, isn't it? It is. It is. They have to keep borrowing. I don't think they have mm. a choice here. And, um, yeah, maybe maybe Barry and also, uh, you know, you can, uh, you know, Mark can chime in here. I just don't see any way out other than borrowing more uh, at this point. Barry, what is- oh, I think you're absolutely right. This is an emergency and you then have to create some money. And uh, if that uh, public sector borrowing requirement soars, so be it short term. I think she can get away with this for a year or so. But of course, ultimately, uh, the, uh, the chickens come home to roost. It has to be paid off. But by the way, if you want to look at debt, look at the USA. And we've got problems. And, and this, mm. this, uh, this rise in the dollar, which is a mixed blessing at any rate, uh, ultimately uh, hurts American exporters greatly. And it's not justified by the fundamentals. But isn't this sort of like a, a death spiral? Because on the one hand, you're trying to fund and subsidise UK households because of their soaring energy bills. But the cost of doing that is interest rates shoot up, the pound uh, gets weaker which imports more inflation, which pushes interest rates up even more. And, and the cost of those higher interest rates are reflected in things like uh, household mortgages um, and then also in, in rent. So in the end, um, you don't get the subsidy that, uh, that you thought because you end up paying an economic cost elsewhere. Well, what you say makes a lot of sense to me, and that's a pretty uh, dire forecast, but I agree with it. Let me just add one issue that's maybe not completely related. Liz Truss was the foreign secretary and until just, just now before that uh, was in charge of trade. Her relationship with China was not particularly good, and it got, got mm. worse as time went on. So I think that's an area we're going to have to watch. It's a very sensitive area, especially in the next few months, not only with the U.S., but with the U.K. and, and with Europe and uh and this is another area which can affect the economy as, as well as the uh, as well as the geopolitical situation. Okay, I'd love to continue, but sadly, yeah. uh, we've run out well, of time. Unfortunately, she's young, so I think she can learn. Mark, I hope uh, she is still early in her sort of like uh, tenor, and she'll make some changes along the way. Okay, great. Thank you very much. We heard there, Mark Michelson, chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. Christopher Lee, who's senior partner at Foreign Augustine and Alexander, and of course our international economics correspondent Barry Wood. Let me just give you a message from the transport department. Due to a traffic accident, parts of the lanes of Chingchong Road in the direction of Kwantung, uh, near the Seoul Estate, are closed to all traffic. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On what's turning out to be a very busy morning, let me give you an update on the markets. The ASX 200 in Australia is now down uh, 1%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan also down close to 1%. Uh, the Cosby in South Korea is also off over 1%. Uh, looks like the Hang Seng now uh, is going to open um, around about um, 250 to 300 points lower. Uh, it'll be the first time it's dropped below the 19,000 level since mid-March. I'll be back tomorrow morning uh, with further updates on the business and financial situation. Stay tuned for Pack Chat coming up after the news with Janice Wong and Danny Gittings.
Let me give you an update on the weather forecast before I go. Cloudy with occasional showers, one or two thunderstorms. Maximum temperature is going to be around 29 degrees during the day and then occasional showers tomorrow before the weather improves on Friday. There is a thunderstorm warning in force. It's 27 degrees, 87% relative humidity. Just gone 8.30. Here's Andrew Shrosky with the Half Hour News. Thank you, Peter. Health officials have confirmed Hong Kong's first case of monkeypox, a 30-year-old man who's said to be in stable condition at Queen Mary Hospital. The patient recently traveled to Canada, the United States, and the Philippines before flying into Hong Kong on Monday from Manila. The Center for Health Protection's Edwin Choi urged people who might have been in contact with him to monitor their health, including those who were on the same flight, PR-300. He also called on inbound travelers to report any health issues upon arrival. It is quite difficult to screen out monkeypox in the airport, but we will surely enhance our health education and promotions and reminders to all inbound travelers that in case they have any symptoms suggestive of any kind of infectious disease, they have to report to our colleagues in the um, port health divisions at the airport or in other uh, ground-causing boundaries. So it may help us to intercept any case of um, infectious disease as early as possible. Most cases of monkeypox are mild and clear up on their own within a few weeks. Symptoms include a rash, fever, chills, swollen lymph nodes, exhaustion, muscle pain, and severe headaches. The daily COVID tally has fallen below the 10,000 mark, with Hong Kong reporting 9,373 new infections. 186 of them were imported. More than 2,900 patients are being treated in public hospitals, 14 of them in intensive care, and nine more patients with COVID have died. Overseas now, an emergency session of the Security Council has been taking place at the United Nations in New York to discuss the situation at the Russian-occupied Zaporizhia nuclear power plant in Ukraine. UN inspectors are recommending a security zone be set up immediately to shield the facility from fighting. The UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, set out the conditions for the plant to operate safely. As a first step, Russian and Ukrainian forces must commit not to engage in any military activity towards the plant site or from the plant site. The Zaporizhia facility and its surroundings must not be a target or a platform for military operations. As a second step, an agreement on a demilitarized perimeter should be secured. Specifically, that would include a commitment by Russian forces to withdraw all military personnel and equipment from that perimeter and the commitment by Ukrainian forces not to move into it. Britain's new Prime Minister Liz Truss has appointed the top positions to her cabinet. Kwasi Kwarteng will be the finance minister, Suella Braverman the home secretary, and James Cleverly will run the foreign office. It's the first time none of Britain's main offices of state will be held by a white man. Earlier in her first speech as British Prime Minister, Ms. Truss said Britain faced severe global headwinds caused by Russia's war in Ukraine and the COVID pandemic, but she was convinced it could ride out the storm. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Janice Wong and our guest presenter is Danny Gittings. Today we're looking at monkeypox after Hong Kong identified the first imported case of the disease. A 30-year-old man who arrived here from the Philippines on Monday. He also previously visited the United States and Canada. 
The man developed a rash at the end of last month, followed by swelling in his lymph nodes and a sore throat. He's now in stable condition at Queen Mary Hospital, and no one has been identified as his close contact. The case comes as the government expects to receive its first shipment of monkeypox vaccines this month. More than 52,000 cases of the disease have been recorded in the global outbreak, according to WHO figures on Monday. But transmission is slowing in the virus hotspots of Europe and the United States. So how transmissible is monkeypox? Do we need to be worried?